writers who wrote Animal Crackers, but... I think I saw that last night. The original Animal Crackers? There was, uh, there was one of the, the shows, the movies you're always talking about that was on the guide. Oh, was it out like it was TCM doing a Marx Brothers festival or I something? Don't know. Or? It was one. It was a. I think it was Animal Crackers. Well, I saw that and I thought, well, I'll, I'll check that out. Did you watch any of it? About uh, fifteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure that gave you all you needed to know. No, I didn't. But the window, <laughs> the window when I click on a highlight a channel, then mm-hmm. up in the right corner is a small window. Right, and it looked like it was in some kind of a commercial break. Okay. Now, I, if you don't start young, as I was blessed to with yeah. those things, they are difficult to come to now at your age. Fields, the Marx Brothers, Laurel and Hardy, whom, whom I've well, revered since I was seven. And I hope and that, I still love them. I just, I hope we're, we're, we're yeah. getting to a generation now. <clears throat> It'll be gone forever. There's no knowledge. Nobody will have watched Nobody will right. have said, "Oh, I know who that is," because right. I do. Growing yeah. up, hearing about it, right. all of the old shows and the the, the black and white monster movies we used sure. to watch as kids, love them still. I I hope those at, at some point younger people will check them out every once in a while. Frankenstein, Bride of, yeah. Son of, Ghost, Ghost, of Ghost of, House of, <clears throat> wonderful memories from childhood, but. What I didn't see any of yesterday, and this, this, I'm just going to confess it up front. Yeah. You know, but what's your resolution? Well, to be truthful in 2024. So at least let me start today <laughs> on the Joe Beaver Show. You know how much football I saw yesterday? This much. And zero. I'm starting up the big zero. Zero. And this is, sure. What? How can you know? Okay, I'll tell you why. The end of the season left me just in a yeah. depressed mood about college football. I know. I'm sorry. It did. I understand. So. With the world we now live in, I could not bring myself to watch what the powers have said. All you need to watch is, and so today, the national narrative, oh, we got we got two great games, Rome and Eisen and everybody. Oh, that, the CFP got it right. So this is my question to you. That's it. You know, the talk shows that began in the 90s, wow, we got to settle this on the field. We yeah. need a playoff. Here we are. Here we the heck are. So, you had your two great games. And my question to you then today is, and I ask it in a very becalmed manner. <laughs> my question to you is, Yes? Is that what you, did you get what you want? College football fan. Well, if you didn't watch the games yesterday, it means you don't like college Yeah, I guess, I suppose you could say that to me. But I'm just asking you, are you pleased with what you have? That's a multi-layered question. It is. There's more to it than that. I know there is, but and I want you now, but you understand, John, and I don't even know if I understand my own thoughts and emotions about it, but something about all of it right now rubs me wronger than ever so that... When I read in yesterday's The Athletic about the only sports stuff that I consume, Nicole Auerbach wrote, wrote a column in The Athletic about how the bowl games and systems and college football need some fixing and the portal and the signing period, and we've got to do something to maximize the interest in bowl games and have more Pop-Tarts bowls with Pop-Tarts running around and things like that. And, and then she actually said late in her column, and I share this with you as a means of trying to in a sense, articulate what I'm feeling. 
almost with a C. Nicole Arbach wrote, college football bulls need help. Here are five ways to fix the postseason and prevent opt-outs. Okay. Yeah. That's the headline and theme. Her fifth point is this, and it feels almost like people look up and, oh, hmm, maybe our fixation on two teams or four teams or next year 12 teams, maybe that isn't all so good. Because here's what she writes at the end. Her fifth point, (laughs) reframe the way we talk about college football and the way we celebrate the sport in the 12-team CFP era. She writes, this needs to be a collective effort from pundits to fans to coaches and administrators. We need to stop framing everything as national championship or bust. (laughs) This is how you get Ohio State players actually opting out of the Rose Bowl or Florida State players skipping the Orange Bowl, all because they're not playing for a chance to win a national championship. It's almost like, you know, maybe all of this who's in fixation that's been going on for so dang long. Yeah. That's why I it didn't sit well with me to watch games and then have people, oh, this is what we wanted. Two great semifinal playoff game. Oh, finally, the CFP, the committee got it right. I don't care what the committee did. I'm not happy today. Well, here's the problem. And I want to ask people, thank you. I want yeah. you to tell me what the problem is. Yeah. But college football fans out there today, Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Did you love it? Oh, gosh, I'm glad we finally got a playoff like this. Go, man, go. 497-5356. And tell me to take my Marx Brothers and Fields and all that old junk and get out of here. and Walk away from it if you don't like it. Tell me that right yeah. now. And did you love it yesterday? And maybe I will and please everybody. I'm sorry. I just couldn't bring myself to watch them yesterday. I watched them, and they were great. They were great games, I'm sure. They were very good games. The problem is we used to have those very good games with all the other bowl games filled with the regular players, no opt-outs, and those were also good games. I would not take last night's games as an exchange for opt-outs. So, no, it's not a good situation, but they were good games. That's a great way to frame it, John, because you're speaking the truth. They were great college football games by all accounts. So I'm asking you, as college football fans, maybe being a college football fan rises above the the machinations of opt-outs and portals and all that, and you're saying today, yeah, that is what I wanted. You didn't understand it until yesterday. But now the beauty of the playoff, and next year we're going to have more playoff games. Is that honestly, just because I don't feel that way, maybe you do, and you can tell me why you do, and you don't have to apologize for feeling that way. I feel as though I need to apologize for feeling the way I do and articulate when I just articulate when I've heard Rich Eisen and Jim Rome and every national talk show host the last couple of days talk about how great this all is. So I'm asking you how you feel, Beaver Nation, or people listening to the Joe Beaver Show today. Are you good? Okay, there we go. We got the two great games and the committee got it right. Tired of even hearing the phrase, the committee. And I know it can't go back, so I'm fighting windmills. I'm fighting a losing battle. I've got to somehow find a way to adapt myself to the current state of affairs where I may never see a college football game again other than my, our beavers in it. But 
just what I saw unfold in El Paso, what I saw unfold in the 63-3 to game, what I... It just feels as though Nicole Auerbach coming to, we need to reframe the way we talk about it. Well, she and so many other people have been talking about it so long, and the talk show hosts and the pundits and everybody else that she describes, we, the pundits, the coaches, fans, need to reframe the way we talk about college football. I wish she would have said, like, listen to those jokers on the Joe Beaver show out in Corvallis, Oregon, and the way they talk about college football, because maybe more of us need to talk that way. I don't know. Maybe we don't. Maybe we need to embrace, as you embraced yesterday, even with hatred towards Washington, you love college football. You don't hate the players. You enjoyed the game and the games. So where are you with it today? Open phones this first hour. Lindsey Schnell, USA Today, was at the women's rivalry game against Oregon with a 34-point beautiful swing. If you'd like to join us, uh, she'll join us at 12.05, and then we'll have uh, open phones the, the, after that. But for now, until noon, and then Lindsay sharing thoughts on the college football situation, the portal, the Beaver men's and women's basketball teams to the WCC, the win itself against Oregon, et cetera. 12.05, a special guest. But if you'd like to join us, 497-5356, 497-5356, as we, I, I'm just, I, I'm speaking for myself and my ridiculous self today and saying how I feel. And I just, I want to know where you guys all are with it. Did you love yesterday because the games were great and the committee got it right? If so, I'm happy for you. I am that you enjoyed the aesthetic experience of two well-played, exciting, compelling, down-to-the-wire, last-play college football games. I'm happy for you. I really am. But I have not quite reconciled myself to it, John. A, a caller just matched your frustration and is, was stirred to call. Didn't want to go on the air. Okay. Byron, he didn't, didn't want to call or didn't want to go on the air, but said exactly what you're saying, that you're spot-on. And very, very upset and, and animated about the whole thing and how ridiculous it is and didn't watch anything from yesterday. Okay. Um, would have been a great call, but didn't want to come okay. on. Okay. And uh, was uh, said you're right you're, and was in absolute agreement with the way things have fallen. Okay. Well, sir, thank you for the call. Now, now I, yeah. I did watch. I, that, you know, I watched for the purposes of this show. And I wanted to watch the Rose Bowl. I get and it. I was only okay with the fact. And I only and I, I I was I was only okay with the fact that there was half of the tradition there. Right. You know, and like okay, that that's gone. I was looking at it, going, we the Beavers can never go there, right. never, unless mm -hmm. you get into the playoff and there happens mm -hmm. to be a semifinal right. or whatever, and you're you happen to be placed there. In fact, they were saying that because the Georgia's lost and da da da, <laughs> that somebody would would have been. Uh, on Washington would have been on the Rose Bowl side of the bracket, something like that. I don't know. I just know that I love the Rose Bowl, and I wanted to watch it. Really good game, though. No doubt. I'm not going to argue that they were great games. But these teams haven't lost anybody. Everybody else or the land has lost half their rosters. It's, um, it's ridiculous. If you'd like to join us, we have open lines, and uh, thank you for your patience as we multitask here as always we're going to go to Tumwater here to get rolling in appropriately enough in 2024 we'll follow Dave up with Paul so 
You know, the thing I love about life is, while everything changes around us, the landscape, getting the, you know, the, everything gets pulled out, rugs get pulled out, upheavals. Dave and Paul are our first callers of 2024, save for somebody who called, didn't want to go on the air for whatever reason, and shared his message with you off the air, yeah. an impassioned one. He's, he, but he didn't want to do it on the air. Okay, I respect now, that. Right. But, now, before we yeah. get into, because the, the, the first change that people are going to write in, I'm yeah. already seeing a text on it. We brought up before, I actually brought it up before very briefly, but someone knocked it down because they're saying, uh, as far as when you have to go to school, and that is to change the portal oh, to yeah, opening yeah. the day after the national championship. Game. I know. I think I know. a lot of people have been saying that lately, but, and I don't really understand this whole idea, okay, well, when do you have to be in school, right. blah, blah, blah. Well, is school really a factor anymore? I know. They're, they're pro athletes now. As disappointed as I am about Silas Bolden, oh, I give him yeah. credit. I mean, it breaks my heart. I didn't even but know until him, this morning. I give him credit for staying through at least. Yeah. And I was told by an eyewitness that when he couldn't return to the game, he was weeping in the in the Beavers locker room in El Paso, sobbing. Wanting to finish it Wanting out. to finish, wanting to play. I'm sorry that he's leaving. I wish he weren't. There's so much junk out there in the world now that I'm hearing from so many different people and sources that what lies are being told Mm -hmm. to the players, both in the portal and the recruiting trail. Oregon State may not even have athletics in two years. You need to get out now. You don't want to go there. You need to get out. Mm -hmm. The fight and the battle that Trent Bray and all these coaches are in now is unbelievable, and it's always been difficult at Oregon State. More difficult than ever now. And yes, exactly. So I'm just I'm just not in the I wasn't in the mood to sit back and be entertained by college football, however great the games were. I'm feeling sick at heart right yeah, now. I know. So that's why. Yeah. But those of you who found your way through that, you're sick at heart as well. I'm not trying to say I'm a better fan than you at all, or a bigger fan of Oregon State than you. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that's how I felt yesterday. On New Year's Day, a day that used to mean everything, yeah. in a sense, yeah. Yeah. what it's come to. And people now say, maybe, just maybe, it's like Gatsby. He had an expression of bewilderment in his face as though he had a faint doubt occurred to him as to the quality of his present happiness. Maybe it's not so great after all. Yeah. And when he finally got Daisy to come over to his big place, and yeah, maybe he, then he had a faint doubt. Maybe Nicole Auerbach expressing those faint doubts. Are any of you, how do you feel? Or did you get what you wanted yesterday and been clamoring for as fans for 30 years? A CFP that lived up to the billing, and now we got a title game that we're so excited about. Just from the pure aesthetics of college football game, do you have what you want? We're going to go to Tumwater with Paul on deck, and we hope to hear from more of you. Phone line, text line, 497-5356. All of that said... Happy New Year, everybody. Dave, good morning. Happy New Year to you and John, Mike. <clears throat> I'm uh, with you on uh, uh, the emotional uh, tenor. You almost sound as excited as that Dave from Tumwater. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so a few thoughts. Um, um, first of all, unless there's some changes, and, and I did read Nicole Auerbach's uh, column. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term being bowl eligible never meant less than it does now, and unless there are changes going forward. Uh, it, it's become almost meaningless. In fact, in the post-game, TJ's post-game call-in show, 
I made the observation that in effect, guys, both the bowl games, other than for the teams in the playoffs, they've become in effect what the spring game used to be, mm-hmm. where you try out new schemes, new players. And, of course, the spring game as a game is also devolved. That's really a glorified scrimmage now. Mm-hmm. So the, the, And I also pointed out that if you think it's bad now, the, tr- the tendency, the trend assessment would suggest that when teams that are preseason favorites to get to the final 12 have their third or fourth loss by Halloween, players will be start opting out at Halloween. Right. Uh, unless... Unless they have an NIL agreement that stipulates you're going to play every game mm-hmm. uh, that the that the school plays, so that, that's so. Let me just get to a couple points. Um, first of all, if I were Jim Harbaugh, I'd put a call into Trent Bray in Little Old Corvallis, Oregon, and say, "How did you scheme against Michael Penn? Mm-hmm. And by the way, how did Penix not win the Heisman Trophy? Now, I will I will admit that I meant to start with this, Mike. I went to church at 10 o'clock in the morning, took, uh, took uh, a couple long walks, and my wife, and Chris and I, we watched uh, mystery uh, shows and movies mm-hmm. from 7.30 p.m. <laughs> Pacific on. We just happened to be between shows when I turned over to watch the last play of the Sugar Bowl. I probably saw 12, games, 12, um, 12 plays in the Sugar Bowl, and I swear nine of them were Michael Penix's throwing rainbow bombs mm-hmm. 50 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. That guy is the best quarterback uh, in football. He should have uh, won the Heisman Trophy. But back to my main point, Trent Bray twice, not once, twice, effectively mm-hmm. shut that guy down. So if I'm True. Jim Harbaugh, Jim, if you're listening, if you're listening, Jim, give Trent Bray a call this week, <laughs> uh, and maybe he can call and get a return favor some other time. The, the one part of the Nicole Auerbach story that I thought was most compelling, her first point, Mike, was that it, because it was basically to embrace the silliness of the bowl right. season as it's now constituted. Right. Uh, and uh, and I, I loved the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I thought the ma- everything associated that was great fun because they embraced the silliness mm-hmm. of it. And as I texted you separately, I texted both of you guys separately, nothing stood in, in starkest, more stark contrast than that buffoon Joe Tessitore who goes out of his way to speak in stentorian tones. <laughs> what does stentorian mean? Actually? Not sure. It's a good but question. Anyway, but he's, 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 all, he's ever so dramatic, and he's trying to make a game out of that uh, disaster, Georgia-Florida State game. <laughs> so he's on ESPN trying to put lipstick on the pig. Meanwhile, Dave Portnoy and the guys on the WC channel who are calling the Barstool Dual Sports Arizona Bowl. That bowl game was a delight to watch and listen to, in part because they embraced the silliness of what has become the bowl season in college football. So if that's making a virtue out of necessity, so be it. But uh, but uh, again, that that contrast stood out to me. So let me ask, end on this uh, this last point, ask this question regarding the transfer portal. Because, John, you're right. Now we're going to start accounting academics and how do we do things in college football after we've, uh, after, 
after we've reached maximum randomness and ultimate chaos, we're not we're, we can't do the transfer portal because of until after the bowl season because academics matter so much. So you guys are there, and the Oregon schools, state schools, and the Washington State, not, not WSU, but UW, they're on the quarter system. Here's my question: When precisely does the next quarter of academic uh, activity start? At Oregon State University, is that it's probably not till next week, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe the fifteenth of the month. I mean, Earlier, do, do you I, guys know the answer to that question? Not, not exactly. No, but uh, within I think next week, yeah. I believe, or maybe heck, it, I I don't know for sure. I'll it, find it's out. It's an early January thing, though. Yeah, but but the semester system is different than what you're talking about. So anyway, what's your what? What are you driving at, Dave? <laughs> Well, my point is, college college isn't going to start again for most places uh, until the tenth, the fifteenth, or maybe even later in January. In other words, the transfer portal could easily start on January second. It doesn't need to be a whole month. It can be all you. If a guy has decided he's going to transfer, he doesn't need a month's time to make that decision. Right. In fact, some guys probably made the decision at Halloween. Or by mm-hmm. Thanksgiving time, the portal just happened to open up on December 6th. So that would mitigate it somewhat. Yes. But again, i just go back to my opening point. Unless there are changes, I, did, I, watched, I watched a dozen plays of the Sugar Bowl, maybe 20 or 30 plays of the Rose Bowl for the reasons John cited. But I basically checked. I, watched, I, I, I avidly watched the Pop-Tarts Bowl and the Barstool Arizona Bowl. I, I couldn't stomach and, and think of my poor fate up here, guys. Think of poor Dave and Tumwater. Put the, I'm going to play the victim kind. The victim kind. Surrounded by all of these University of Washington fans. I don't know what to do. There's a part of me that says it would be nice for the Pac-12 to, to win. Actually, but if you think of it, really what we've got is two big, two big Ten teams playing for the title. <laughs> well, yeah. So my, so my, so why my worst nightmare has come about. The school that demolished the Pac-12. I, I stand by that to my dying day. It was the University of Washington that had the kill shot of the Pacific Coast Conference, and now here they are going to they're going to revel in being in the championship game, possibly win it. They certainly have the best player on the field. You can imagine if you think you're upset, Mike. Imagine I I feel everything you feel, but I have the added burden. <laughs> of being embedded in the <laughs> right. heart of Husky Nation. Living among them, yes. That, Dave, you, I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to go to Paul in a moment. Happy New Year to you, Dave. I believe this won't be the only time we'll talk in 2024. We hope not anyway. We look forward to hearing your voice often throughout this next calendar year. But thank you for sharing your thoughts with us, Dave, and we'll have plenty more to talk about in the days ahead. Thank you. Take care. There's a lot to talk about. There is, and John, you you said, and tell me now. Yeah, yeah. We even with the antipathy mm-hmm. towards Washington yeah. that we the all disdain. feel exactly. You still because of these mm-hmm. old grooves and yeah. habits, kind of rooted for them because they're in our conference. That, That's how you felt watching it. And right? and for me, it goes back to the the old Pack Eight, right? Where I'm like, yeah, every time there's a tournament or anything, I always root for home, and home is where you are, and that is the Pac-12 conference, even though it's dead, and it was them, and I agree with mm-hmm. Dave, it was Washington, I agree with it, the pain, all of the, uh, mm-hmm. the animosity, it's like, 
it's 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 not like a loss. It, it's weird. It's like everything that's happened makes me more sad than angry. So yeah, I don't yeah. feel like getting revenge on these teams that are leaving. I just don't. Mm. I'm like, just, yeah, just go, yeah, just go, and we'll we'll figure it out. And but at the same time, I'm watching this game, and I couldn't help myself. I I tried not to root for Washington. I wasn't, but in the end, I wasn't you were rooting. In it's the just end, that, though, you were. In the end, out. when when bad calls or mm-hmm. good things happen, I was like, I always just kind of my mind went back to, it'd be nice to see a Pac-12 team do something big. Yeah, I remember the first time Warren Moon and the Huskies broke through against Michigan in the Rose Bowl after the '77 season, loving it. Yeah, yeah. watching it. Caring about it and loving it. Because it was the in league. In 1978 in the Pac-8. Yeah. And Warren Moon and the Huskies rose from the ashes under Don James in his third year to beat mighty Michigan in the Rose Bowl in a huge upset. Yeah, and, and I, I like it. And I know. And yesterday I didn't watch it. No, minute. but I know there will be people. Oh, John, hey, I yeah, hate right. it. I get it. I should be there. I'm just saying, why am I not? So who do you root for now in the title game? Washington. Okay. How about that, everybody? Let's go to Paul before we take a break. Paul, good morning. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Well, happy New Year's, guys. Hey, it sounds to me like uh, old Dave and Tumwater needs to start the Washington chapter of Beaver behind enemy lines. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, you know, a couple of points. You know, I, I did watch the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Uh, well. <laughs> No. I missed the first quarter because it started so early. But, uh, you know, just the joy that Bo Nix has playing the game. I just, you know, even though he's an Oregon Duck, I just got to admire oh, the guy for, for sticking it out and, and playing for his, his, his team. Well, yeah, that's too cool. That's in a sense, in an odd kind of way. Here's John saying the old conference solidarity kicked in for him with the Huskies, and whether it's conference solidarity or just admiring an individual, Paul, you're you're taking time to say you like the way Bonex plays, the attitude with which he displays. You're getting paid seven figures. It might help your attitude and overall uh, viewpoint a little bit more. But good for him. I got you. So. Anyway, that's big of you as a big Beaver fan to share that about Bo, I guess. And Ron, I, I agree with Dave. I think Penix should have won the, the Heisman, and I think Bo Nick should have been number two. I mean, those two, for, for our conference to have two quarterbacks like that, it, uh, maybe that shed a little light, even though the, the conference is going away. I voted for, but, I uh, have a Heisman vote, and mine went to Penix. As much, you know, the Huskies, the despised Huskies and so on, mine went to Penix. You were right. I gave him the vote before he did what he did yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I, I just felt, even with the Beavers, you know, to run the table with that team, I, have to, I had to try to be as objective as possible and not let personal bias enter in, just as, there was a year I voted for a guy named Marcus Mariota with a Heisman vote to win it because he had the best year mm-hmm. with with a great team, and I had to take myself and my bias out of it. Of course, you know. I so I was Penix Daniels Knicks in my in my three. You're allowed to vote for three. Penix, Jaden, and Knicks were my one, two, three. So anyway, Paul, what else you got? Well, I I did watch the games yesterday and. Astoundingly, those those were probably the two best games. But I I, I want to make a point, Mike. 
I think with the 12 team playoff next year, I think that the transfer portal is going to be effective because that's going to mean a lot more of your better players on the top 25, you know, in the, in the polls is going to be affected and they're yeah. not going to be as many transfers. I, I, I see that Paul. I do because you notice that the, the teams that are playing in these that still have a chance of winning the whole thing, they didn't lose any players compared to everybody else because there's still a chance and there's, there's a lot going riding there. Whereas an average bowl where a lot of times most people said they don't have any meaning, they're just bowl games. Now they have zero meaning. And I think Dave was spot on when he said glorified scrimmages. And so because it'll advance, like you say, Paul, to 12 teams, well, they're still all viable for this, this great uh, brass ring that everybody wants. So they will chalk their players into sticking around for a while. I think the only change, big change we'll ever get on the transfer chaos is to change the timing of when it goes for everybody else outside of those 12 teams that you're talking about. Exactly. I agree 100%. I don't think the transfer portal should be until after, you know, like, like you said, on January 2nd. And, oh, by the way, Mike, school starts here at Oregon State January 8th. Okay. So yeah. today. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Paul, for that. Good talking to you. Let's take a break on that note. There is uh, Paul who watched both games, and they were great games. This is what I'm trying to ask all of you today. Are you able just to shove aside any existential crisis in your own life about the Beavers and the state of affairs and about the implosion of the conference and for old time's sake, rooted for the conference one more time? For old time's sake, you'll root for the conference to win a championship. I heard Petros talk about that yesterday on a national show. Al, great last stand for the Pac-12. Go Pac-12. Go out as a champion. Are any of you feeling that way? And were you... Pleased as a consumer, as a fan of college football, to have two great games yesterday. Good for you. That's bigger, better, a better outlook in life, I suppose, than what I had. I couldn't bring myself to watch them. I didn't care. The anger inside of me about all that's happened, more news about the portal that hurt me, a three-game losing streak to end the season, coaches, you know, all the lines, all the stuff out there. Rich Eisen this morning complaining that he was at the Rose Bowl sitting there with his son and the long commercial breaks. And Eisen said his son was saying, Dad, the three plus minutes, three and a half minutes on that clock out on the field telling us how long the breaks. And there's so many of them. Score, timeout, mm-hmm. kickoff, timeout, mm-hmm. score, timeout, kickoff, timeout. Chip Kelly said earlier in the year when UCLA was playing Coastal Carolina, hope you guys are selling a lot of commercials because there were a lot of commercials. They have to. I mean, these networks, are, nope. it's all about the money now. But they Nothing. have to, and so they, they can to. give the teams the money. We can't say no, we want to be in no, a conference exactly. for $31.7 no. million a year and complain about the commercials. That's what I'm saying. So Rich Eisen to complain about the commercials when he and so many others are about the, you got to have the playoff. You gotta, well, you have it, and they're filled with commercials because college football is a gigantic money-making enterprise. And I... I just, I don't know how y'all feel about it. That's what I'm asking here today. 497-5356. Did you get, I feel like JT the Brick and all these others through the years, we got to settle this on the field. We got to settle this. Okay, well, we're settling it on the field. Do you have, like Gatsby, a faint doubt about the quality of your present happiness or are you happier than ever? 
497-5356, the Downward Dog phone line, the University Honda text line. Here we are, 2024, the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. Get back to the phones. Mike and Dean are on the Downward Dog phone line. Any reaction on the University Honda text line? We're going to shift gears and talk a lot of Oregon State basketball in our second hour. A good weekend. Uh, the men routing of ultra-talented USC team. Did you go to the game? Any thoughts about that? Bronny James had his biggest game collegiately. LeBron himself weighed in on it. And then the OSU women down 23-10 to 10, have a 30 30- four-point swing. I have a, a question. Uh, yeah. One texter here, and I don't know if it's the same person, but this morning, Washington winning, does that mean more money for us? <laughs> I think it okay. does. So maybe so. I, 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 I think maybe just getting into the playoff. I'm not, but each game may add on exponentially. I, I, don't, know. I don't know I don't either. know if the CFP is, is, this, is structured the same way as the NCAA. With units, where you oh, do, you gain more when you win a right. game in basketball. Well, then go dogs, go, because we're going to keep all that money, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was decided last yeah. week. So, so yeah, there's a little. Bring on now. Here I am to cry all the money. and okay, Bring it on. We need more. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to say, and I can't wait for Monday <laughs> Come night. on, Huskies. Hey, listen to me. I'm not. I'm just. <sighs> We had a call off the air. Somebody said, how come you're not talking about the Beavers? And I understood. I thought you meant that that individual was saying, let's talk about the Beaver basketball team, the women oh, winning. A little bit about that. But yeah, yeah. he said, we need to talk about how bad. The- no, we don't, sir, whoever you were. <laughs> Why talk about the Sun Bowl game? Seriously. I mean, if you want to, the lines are open and you can text in. Yeah, and you said the caller was, yeah, we were terrible. And it was so, once again, what were your expectations? And when you think about the opt-outs and the transfers and the, the situation the Beavers were in, in a sense, what were you expecting any more than what Florida State had happened to them? So I don't want to live there. I don't want to dwell on that particular game. I like to think of the Beavers as an 8-2 and two football team and number 10 in the country and making Michael Penix Jr. and the potential yeah. national yeah. champion team work for everything they possibly got it's funny you say before that. a revved up, wild, loud, wonderful Reacher yeah. Stadium. I, it's funny That's you how say I that think because as year. I'm watching that game last night, I'm like, bring on Texas. Right. When the Beavers were 8-2. Exactly. Bring on, or 8-1. Uh, bring on Texas. Yeah, the Beavers were 8-2, number 10 in the country, hosting yeah. Washington, yeah. and the Huskies scrambled and yes. survived out yes. of Corvallis. Bring so on how Texas. does that make you feel? And how does Washington and, State fan yeah. feel about it? Now, you may say that, well... Yeah, but the truth was the next. I don't believe that. I don't think the truth of the Beaver season is defined by then what unfolded no. subsequently in Eugene or in El Paso. If you do, I, I think you're wrong. I think that that team and the Beavers doing what they did, getting into mid-November with a chance to win the Pac-12 title, was indicative of the, how the group played, competed, bought in, how they were coached. All of that yeah. is how I am choosing to not the last three weeks or the last three games of the year. So, sir, you said, why don't we talk about the Beavers and how bad they were on Friday? They were. But that's almost, to me, irrelevant to the season. Uh, that to me, had. I was up moving something or closing the door, and I, and I only heard it briefly. But to me, the biggest thing that sticks with me from today's show, more than anything, is Dave's comment about the bowl games being scrimmages or, or being spring games. That's really what they've been relegated to. Let's get back to the phone lines. Mike 
joins us on the Downward Dog phone line. Good morning, Mike, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, Mike. Thank uh, you. Thank you for getting me on. Uh, I'm going to give you two points, perspective from a coach and from the player's perspective. 85-86, uh, Oregon State football, when the, I was there, Craig Thorpe, and we threw the ball a lot. And, you know, Oregon, Oregon State, all we were trying to do was become bowl eligible. And the thing is that as a team, as the players, as a coach, you're getting all your pieces put together, and you're trying to – you're playing at the, your, your part, skill set, drive, and passion. Those three things is what we focused on. So if you could take your team and get to this point, this high – I'm raising my hands – this high, and you're, and you're playing really good, you're playing great, but then you take the next step up. That's the skill set. And that passion and drive is there. We had three chances to beat Washington. Our team was playing at that highest level. So when we go to play in the bowl games at the end of the year, all the teams I remember when we were playing, you're playing at the highest level as a team. Every piece has to play the best. You are a step slower in, in practice versus game. So when you get to the game, you're playing at your very best. You're making big plays. And it's that highest level that you'll always remember as a, as a coach or as a player, mm-hmm. and your teammates, your brothers, you'll remember you played at that highest level ever. And now we're all, we're all told four teams, I feel you're paying four teams over the weekend, they're playing at the highest level. Well, all the other teams, until this portal thing came in, NIL, that's how it was always done for the teams that were trying to, you know, the, the ones that didn't have everything. You had at the end of the year, you had a bowl game to play at the highest level and knock somebody off. And it was that skill set, drive, and passion that everybody was aspiring to. And yeah. now it's like, well, the bowl games don't mean anything. You're right. And guys are just going in and playing. And uh, well, so when you came in, you didn't have the chance to leave. If you made your decision mm-hmm. to play at Oregon State, you, say, you made decisions, good or bad, you stayed there. I've got family in Michigan, and oh, my mm-hmm. God, Mike, Michigan State, they're going, they're asking me, like, question mark, like, what the hell's going on in Oregon? What's Oregon State? We got your coach. We got your quarterback. We got this. Mm-hmm. I got to listen to that stuff. Yes, you do. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, this is what, as coaches, we want to take our guys to the highest level so in life, when they go to life, like me, as an entertainer, I get this. I get this skill set, drive, and passion. I learned that when I was at Oregon State. Mike, good for you. Michigan. Yeah, good for you. I appreciate hearing from you. Happy New Year to you. We'll see you often. We hope in the upcoming year. Thanks for the time, sir. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I missed yeah. that. Did he say he lives in Michigan? Did no, he? family in Michigan. Oh, family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and hearing about a lot of different things. Dean is in North Albany. Dean, thank you for the call and welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Well, thank you guys because it's been a, a, a tough patch, you know, to manage through, and I really appreciate that. Uh, a lot of us out here do because putting ourselves in your shoes, it, it has to be a pretty difficult season. Yes, right up to current. And so I'll stay on point. Um, three, three comments and a question. Uh, number one, I, I just think the dissolution of the Pac-12 is kind of a a bigger part of the fabric or part of the fabric uh, in the modern age. I mean, there's not exactly a lot of stewardship going on these days, you know, from mm-hmm. the FISC to the cities. 
and uh, the world, uh, it's very elevated risk. And so we're just part of the bigger fabric, and I'm not seeing, uh, like I say, a lot of stewardship out there. Um, leaving things in better shape than what you found them is mm-hmm. stewardship. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, the bowl season was the worst I've ever seen. It was just awful. Yes, I watched the games yesterday in Penix. <laughs> He's just—he's stunning, the way he can drop the long balls in, mm-hmm. in particular, mm-hmm. and the way he swings it. He is unbelievable. So the games are good yesterday, on uh, balance. Though the, the big picture, the games were awful. It was the worst bowl season ever, um, for for said reasons. Um, number three, I'm still in disbelief to the way Jonathan left. Um, not what he did, but the way he did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just asking a question. I mean, you know, it, well. Another question is, I mean, is it generational? Because, like, you know, I was born in 1954. I can't imagine any damage to my reputation with one person, let alone a whole town, a whole state. And Jonathan did that. I'm wondering if it's the next generation thing where the reputation isn't that important and he's just going to forget about it. And it's, it's, it's shocking to me, actually. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. and, then, and then, and then, and sorry, I mean, I that's okay. Go ahead, Ren. What's the other question, Dean? These are all very astute, well thought out points. What you said, you had two questions. That's yeah, a good one. Yeah, What's yeah, the other I mean, one? I close that out real quick. Uh, we have a settlement. Are the legal issues over? Or, for example, is there an antitrust possibility with uh, Washington State, Oregon State, going after uh, Fox Sports? And of course, that involves Apple. Apple. Mm-hmm. Was uh, was wronged as well. So are the legal issues solved, or, or is there possible antitrust, which, of course, is the big kahuna in yep. the mix? Yep. Is, that, is that possible? You know is what, Dean? Dean, thank you so much for the call. Alan Thayer, who reached out to me over the weekend. Alan, if you're listening, Happy New Year. We'll get him on next week, perhaps. I'm gone. I just came by to say I must be going. That's how we got the show started, a la Groucho, Animal Crackers, Captain Spaulding. 15 seconds. Uh, I'm glad you saw more football than you did Animal Crackers or whatever was on yesterday. Good for you because the football I heard was magnificent. Great games down to the wire. <laughs> Happy for everybody. Looks like you all have Bob Euchre in the great commercial. Looks like they're having a good time in there. Don't, don't. When he was shut out. Don't hurt yourself by missing something good mm-hmm. because something else hurt you. Right. I got you. You're right. So the college football games were compelling and magnificent still, theater, absolutely. And we can still rail against it. Right. This was great, but yes. they all should be great. Yeah, yeah. Kind and of they should all matter and have momentum. And, and, and I'm furious I know. about how, and Dean, thank you. I, I'm. This is difficult to yes. do a show like this where everything around us is collapsing. <sighs> yeah. It is horrible. And the weekend, I got away from the small bowls. I couldn't really watch anything because we were, normally over the years you've been one of those i one love the bowl games but because of all of the attrition yeah you know carrie egger said this bowl game between notre dame and oregon state ought to be called the attrition bowl yeah and but that could be applied to almost everyone almost but all there were of them. some see there were some where you know they were they were matched and uh um no names that hadn't played yeah. all year came in and did right. really well but when it got to the to ours i was so disappointed i first half what well, <sighs> Well, look, I just have to, I went to bed at halftime. And the reason why is because I had spent from 4A to 10P on Thursday doing two, two basketball games. games, a morning mm-hmm. show, and six interviews. And so yeah. then turning around after four hours sleep, getting up Friday morning to do 
the Clue Morning Update, and then the Tailgate Show. So right. I get home, Kim exhausted, made this big old thing of nachos, and I'm settling in, <laughs> and I'm seeing what I'm seeing. I know. I'm like, I'm out. I am out. I know. Especially after the fake. Punch. And had it stayed seven nothing at halftime, which it should have, right. and that's the one comment I'll make about the game. The only one that the Beavers were going to lose that game, so I'm not sitting here saying, "Well, they didn't do that fake punt thing." I wish they hadn't done the fake punt thing. Right, seven nothing, and I was pretty strong on the air. What? Why? Not now. Your defense is playing well. So, to the caller who said you ought to be talking about the, there's my comment. The fake punt was not well executed. Hey, not even so much executed. Just, the idea of it was flawed. Yes. Should, don't do it there. Not and, in that situation at all, period. And I'm not going to, well, they know more about football. I know everybody knows more about football than I do, but I'm sitting here saying that was a bad decision, well, period. And that, and look, I hope going forward, if you're going to do fakes, please, at least midfield or the other side. I'm, this idea of doing it on your own 29, I don't know what yard line yeah, we were at. Near but, midfield, but, but, but these these deep ones where it's, oh, even last night, I'm watching, I don't remember which game it was. Listeners, help me out on this one. It was one of the two semifinals, and um, the team got to a point where, well, and the guys were saying on ABC, or ESPN, whatever, the ESPN Data metrics says that right. you're supposed to go for it on this occasion, but they didn't. <laughs> Literally, like speaking, like they're bad for not going right. for it in their own territory <laughs> right. and right. hunting it away, which for a hundred years was the way you do it. And now they don't do it, and they they didn't ra- rail on it. They just kind of made fun of it, mm-hmm. like, well, you know, the t- the ESPN metrics say you're supposed to you're supposed to go for it here and they and so and so chose not to, and that turned out to be a good thing because now they have them pinned deep. Yeah, as they, if that's a new right, concept. They, flipping the field, pinning somebody right. deep. That as if was, that's a new concept. That was the beauty of that moment in El Paso. Seven nothing. The defense beginning to show some life. We'll pin them in the halftime score. Is going to be seven nothing at worst. Yeah, yeah. And instead, the game felt over at halftime at fourteen. Oh yeah. With the short field TD. Yeah. Disappointing, Doc. Let's take a our second break yeah. this hour. Lindsey Schnell to talk hoops at twelve oh five and other things. Thanks for joining us on this first show of twenty twenty four. Hope you're all having a good time in there on Joe Radio. Little but, over. Yeah, and by the way, Dave, Stentor, you know, thank heaven for the, I love the modern era we're in, and you can look anything up. The adjective Stentorian comes from Greek mythology. Stentor was a herald in the Trojan War, mentioned in Homer's Iliad. Homer wrote a brazen voice, Stentor, whose cry was as loud as that of 50 men together. So anyone with a Stentorian voice has a voice like the mythic Stentor, and he was referring to Joe Tessitore and his stentorian tones. <laughs> I wish I would have been able to see the Barstool game because Dave's texts were were uh, very funny. Hey, and I will say this. I was on a elliptical machine in the little fitness room at the Radisson Airport in El Paso during the Pop-Tarts Bowl. And I'm telling you, during the workout, I think I saw more of the Pop-Tart along the sidelines than the football <laughs> itself. And I was actually laughing. I saw the celebration at the end. It's a brilliant concept, but how long can that play? I mean, you got who's, what's next and what can we find next? Pop-Tarts and mayo. 
Testing, testing, one, two, three, four. In these contentious times... Sir, you've asked a simple-minded question. I will give you an equally simple-minded answer. We invite you to escape for the next couple of hours into the world of The Joe Beaver Show with your hosts, John Warren and Mike Parker, and occasionally, Doug Blair. All right, men, we're not here to sell lemonade. We're here to practice. No one breaks it down any better. Old Indian game. It's called, uh, put the ball in the hole. Uh, What are these little arrows? Let Joe Beaver be your guide into the bold new world of technology. Uh, Radio. That's going to break down a lot of walls. Yes? The door is wide open. Recreation time, gentlemen. So come on in. Be a part of the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the Beavers, 1240 Joe Radio. We head into the second hour. Mike Parker, John Warren, the second hour of 2024. I can tell by the first hour, it's just going to be a nice, easy trip down uh, Primrose Lane. Life's (laughs) a holiday on Primrose Lane. Just, oh, here we go again. It's all nice and easy. You know, I think the old Jolson song about everything's beautiful the day that you stray, but wait until you're further away and things won't seem so lovely. Oh, yeah. That's why I think, I think you you talked about, oh, the little, mm-hmm. what's that uh, Rigsby, Gatsby thing? The Great Gatsby, yeah. yes. Uh-huh, yeah, a little doubt now. He See? had an expression of bewilderment in his face, <laughs> as though a faint doubt had occurred to him as to the quality of... Of his present yeah, happiness. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be Cal and Stanford after their first road trip. That could be. <laughs> Let's head into the second hour. And as mentioned, a good friend over the years in a variety of roles for Lindsay Schnell. And in the role of fan, she attended the Oregon State-Oregon women's basketball game Sunday afternoon at Gill, 23-10 to 10 early. A nice little 34-point swing for the Beavs to win handily to get to 12-0. and 0. Lindsay was there. She saw it. I kind of want to start there and shift gears a little bit, Lindsay, because I have been dealing with, with John and with callers and texters, a sense of angst and frustration about where we are in college football. So let's shift gears and at least start with something really good. The women's basketball team, the 12-0 and 0 start, you were there. We'll get into the other stuff, too. But what did you make of what you saw Sunday afternoon? Well, you know, you you got to throw out the records, right? When it's a rivalry game, crazy stuff happens in a rivalry game. And it felt crazy early on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> State could not have thrown a basketball in the ocean if <laughs> you were standing on the beach. Um, and the Ducks were hitting a lot of good looks from um, the mid-post. And then I felt like the Beavers just really turned it on. Scott Ruick said afterward that Coach Eric Eli, maybe the nicest, gentlest man who works in mm-hmm. the athletic department, gave them a little talking to at halftime mm. and told them to relax. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did. And then they started hitting threes. And, man, Reagan Beers is so tough inside. You know, every time she caught the ball, the Ducks were sending two and three people at her. But... She's so strong. She just powers up through them and scored. Did some great things defensively. I mean, how about 20? I think it was 20 assists and only five turnovers. That is incredible. Talia Von Olhoffen had eight of those assists, no turnovers. Donovan Hunter, freshman, had seven mm-hmm. assists, I think two turnovers. But what a great, you know, the team 
Scott talks a lot about how much he likes this team. And I asked him after the game, just he and I were talking like that yesterday evening, why do you like this team so much? And he said, you know, they just love each other. They truly don't have an ego. And I think that's really clear when they play together. They love to celebrate each other's success. And when they went on that little run, it was, I lost track, but at one point it was 31 to 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, you know, but I was thinking about years ago, was it Scott's first Civil War game when uh, they were down 20 at halftime? <laughs> they had to come back. I was like, oh boy, are we in for another one of those? Um, but they definitely were celebrating each other's success in the second half and um, finally started to knock down some threes. Uh, Lily came off the bench, hit some big shots, great stuff from Tania Gardner. So really, I mean, obviously um, Reagan was the leading scorer, but I really felt like it was a team win. I have a question about this. I called the game on Thursday, did not see the game uh, on Sunday. And I'm wondering when they started it, first of all, when they were playing and missing shots, was it because they were missing shots, but, or was it because Oregon was just playing great defense? And then when they were making the comeback, did you get that feeling like, okay, now they're playing the way that they played in the previous 11 games? So to your first question, I think they were just tight. They were getting really good looks. Um, Oregon is really long, and so they can make you do some stuff that you're just a little uncomfortable with. They have a hand in your face almost every time you shoot. Um, and you look and it's just like a sea of long arms. I think that can just throw you off a little bit. And then, you know, it's a civil war. And I don't know if we're supposed to use that term or not, but I still use it. Um, it's a big rivalry. They want to win. You know, they just, it just took a while. Um, and yes, I definitely thought that the second half, they looked like the team we've seen. The previous, was it 11 games? They were 11 and 0. Now they're 12 and 0. Yes. I do. I do think that, you know, they can't, the way that they played early Sunday, they cannot play that way in at the L.A. schools on the road this coming weekend because those teams, you'll be down 30 mm-hmm. <laughs> before mm-hmm. you know it. Lindsay Schnell, USA Today, uh, Oregon State uh, alumna and uh, graduate of, the, of Oregon State and worked at the Oregonian, has covered Oregon State athletics and been around, around it so much of her life, so able to come back as a fan, but you are working to always looking kind of for stories. And I want to get to a couple of those in a minute, but before we leave or get to that, Lindsay at 12 and 0 and the LA schools on the road beckoning, do you have a feel for what the ceiling might be, how good this team might be, or is it too early to tell because of the, the sample size, uh, only one conference game to this point. How about you have me back on a week from today and <laughs> okay. ask me that question? I think we're going to learn a lot this weekend at the L.A. schools, both top ten teams, UCLA favored to win the conference. I don't expect Oregon State to win either game, hmm. but, I also, but I also know that Oregon State is often at its best when people underestimate them. The Pac-12 on the women's side is so loaded, I think that it's very possible we have a ton of teams that go 500 in conference play. Um, protecting your home floor is going to be so important this year because road wins are going to be tough for anyone to get. That was part of why I thought that win yesterday was so important. For you know, There were a variety of reasons that was one of them. I mean, I think they're definitely a tournament team. They didn't 
play very like really anyone in the non-conference, with the exception of Villanova, which is a very good program, has been the second best team in the Big East conference. Uh, excuse me, a tournament team for a long time. That was a really good win. Um, a lot of Oregon State is going to come down to how people officiate inside. You know, Reagan Beers is so strong, and I think sometimes that catches officials off guard, and they can blow the whistle a little bit more um, and not let her just play her game. So that's going to be an important piece of this. And then defensively, I'm curious to see who becomes the stopper on the perimeter. And I think it's probably going to be one of the freshmen because they are both tremendous athletes. Um, but this will, this will be a really good test. I think we're going to learn a lot this weekend. I have an interesting uh, thing. It's not necessarily a question, but I'd love to get your, your thoughts on it. Did Oregon State going to, what was it, eight straight tournaments, uh, the Final Four in 2016, all of the accomplishments that, that took place over such a long number of years, did not the equity that one would build, why isn't it paying off when they're 10-0, and 11-0, and still only in the receiving votes category? And I'm not complaining. I'm just wondering about that. I kind of thought, you know, that, that that game is played. We can all deny it, but it's played as far as, you know, optics and what teams and what voters think. But yet, after all of that and only a downturn of a year or two, they still are, are undefeated and still only getting votes. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're very right. That is a game that's played. Um, we definitely live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately society, especially when you're not a blue blood in any sport, which Oregon State's not. Uh, I mean, Oregon State's won three baseball national championships, and I still don't think most people would consider them a blue blood because they're not from the SEC. <laughs> um, so... I think that that is a part of it, but the strength of schedule, you know, um, is not great. And then I think another piece of it is, okay, this team's 12-0, and but no one's really seen them because they haven't gone on the road. They don't play in, like, a big showcase mm. um, Thanksgiving tournament. So I think, you know, people in the women's basketball community know what a good coach Scott is. Uh, how tough Oregon State plays, how good they are defensively. But I just don't think that the average women's basketball viewer um, knows them. And it's, you know, look, it's hard, too, because of the Pac-12 network. Not very many people can watch them um, across the country. So, look, it's not uncommon for West Coast teams in general, I think, to be left out. I mean, I've joked for years, I am consistently the only AP Top 25 voter voting for the Gonzaga women, and then mm -hmm. every year they make a run in the tournament. And people are like, wow, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, it's really different because, like, UCLA, like, they played an insane non-conference schedule. Um, USC had one of the biggest opening games of the year. So those teams are, like, out front. And Scott's more of, like, let's work on some stuff, a little more out of the spotlight. But if they keep this up, they're, you know, you're not going to be able to deny them for very long because the one thing everyone is in agreement in is how tough the conference is. Yeah. So if they can go get some conference wins, that's going to turn a lot of heads. Lindsay Schnell, USA Today, joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. Just to hear you reference the Pac-12 Network and then the Pac-12 Conference, it inevitably brings to my own mind, Lindsay, that this is the last of it, and it has felt like 
you know, our place, the channels that we've lived in and moved in and operated in, it's been all about the conference and the opponents. And we talk about, yeah, we play the L.A. schools this weekend. All of that familiar language, mm -hmm. Bay Area schools. Yeah, we've got the Washington schools this weekend. Arizona schools. It's all That's all going by the boards. We're not going to have those frames of reference and those points to make that we just casually drop in now in our conversation here on the 2nd of January in 24. How do you feel about where it's all going, and particularly the WCC is a landing spot, a temporary for the Beaver men's and women's basketball teams? Well, look, I have a big-picture perspective on this, which I can have because my future is not tied to what um, 19- to 22-year-olds uh, decide and how they play, so it's easy for me to say this. But I think things are going to be okay. I think it's going to be a rocky couple years, and I think things are going to level out. You know, right now with the lawsuit going on with Florida State suing the ACC or trying to see the ACC, it's kind of confusing. But the bottom line is that that is going to accelerate the ACC falling apart. And I think in two years, it's very possible that the college football landscape looks different. And we go back to playing region, you know, having regional conferences for every sport except football like that. We're getting closer and closer to that. I think that because Oregon State football is in a really good position, I understand that, you know, playing the Mountain West is not what everyone wants. I get that. But they're in a position to dominate in the group of five the next couple of years, provided that they can continue with how they've been playing and winning and developing guys. And that's going to bring in more money to the school. That's going to make life is a lot easier when you have a lot of money, <laughs> whether you're an individual or a college athletic department. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's weird to think about, I think, especially from the basketball perspective, like those coaches are going to have to decide to schedule um, like a tougher non-conference, like to get those power five opponents. Um, Cause that's going to be really important for tournament resumes. Um, and it's strange. Like I understand that like losing the LA schools is not cool, but also like now theoretically you get to go to the San Diego. I really like San Diego. Um, personally, I'm really excited to watch the Oregon state women play Gonzaga in Portland. We, now we get a game in Portland. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I understand, you know, and yes, the competition is not going to be what it was in the Pac-12, but there are trade-offs to that. You know, you go into the postseason, I think, healthier, less beat up, not as tired. Um, those are all positives. And the, the idea of a mid-major versus power five, that doesn't exist nearly as much in basketball um, as it does in football. So, I think things are going to be okay. I'm not convinced it's the end of the world. Again, it's easy for me to say that. Um, you know, Oregon State Athletics is not signing my paycheck. Yeah. Um, but I think the best thing to do, just listen, from the women's perspective anyway, just go to another Final Four this year. That would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, want, and I told yeah, Scott that. Yeah, and, you told Scott. That's Chatterton. the plan. <laughs> just, there, there no you, problem. There you go. Yeah. Uh, last thing for me, Lindsay, let's look ahead to this weekend. UCLA, uh, USC, 6-2. and two respectively, although two comes first, is UCLA everything that their number is? I, I haven't seen them play, um, but are they, do they look every bit the, 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 the role of number two in the country? I mean, they're very talented. Uh, they got a lot of weapons, and they've played a tough schedule, and they've come out on top. I really respect that. They play really, really hard. 
but UCLA has often had a lot of talent. So I am still a little skeptical. We'll see how things shake out for them, but it will be a big, anyone who can beat UCLA right now because they have so much inside and outside and off the bench, that is an impressive win for anyone. Um, USC has the player who's going to be the freshman of the year, maybe the player of the year in the conference, and Juju Watkins, a 6'2 guard who can do everything and makes it look really easy. She played pretty terrible the first seven minutes of the the Battle for LA game the other day, and then she scored 18 in the last 13 minutes of the first half. So, um, yeah, it's going to be um, – and because she's so big, it's, it's hard to figure out who can guard her. Um, it's going to be a really good test. Those, they're, they're really good. The conference is really good. It's loaded with talent. But, you know, Oregon State does have the reigning freshman of the year, right? That's what Reagan was last year? Or was she sixth woman of the year? I don't even remember. But she won a major award. So. Freshman of the year um, and sixth player of the year. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and Leavon Olhoffen is looking like herself again. And then you add in some shooters. like, And, again, when people write off Oregon State women's basketball is when they tend to thrive. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Lindsay, we... We'll have conversations, I hope, down the road about more of these matters. I, I'm glad you have a somewhat optimistic view about what the next couple of years will look like. And shifting to college football and closing specifically, you wrote an article recently where you touch base with Washington offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb. You're following up a story, and you've done stories on assistant coaching salaries. And Ryan himself, who's a great story, by the way, and a tremendous coordinator, you touched base with him recently in an article, and he and you, I mean, you're kind of marveling over the money he's making calling plays for college football. What does it all say about the state of affairs for college football? How sustainable is the world we're in now, in your view, with respect to all of the money involved in the nil and the, the poaching going on in the portal, the lies being told by other schools to get Oregon State players to leave? I mean, I'm just not comfortable with the state of affairs now. Good for Ryan Grubb to make all the money he's making. But you understand it's all part of kind of where we are now. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ryan Grubb, he makes $2 million a year to call plays. Although i got to say, they calling some great plays yes. last night um, in the semifinal. Um, yeah, is it sustainable? I mean, we've been asking that question for a long time, and I think we're finally going to get an answer because athletes are going to be paid. Athletes are going to get their – I think they're going to win this court case that's winding its way through the federal court system right now about being employees. Um, that's going to change the game for everyone, I think also in ways that athletes aren't anticipating. Um, but I just want to say, you know, the kids didn't break anything. The adults broke college football. Mm-hmm. The adults were the ones who went out and decided, yeah, let's give Jimbo Fisher this insane contract. Um, you know, they are the ones who decided this is what winning is worth. And if you want to compete at that level, you have to be willing to put up those kind of numbers, right? Um, you have to be willing to pull out your paycheck, your pay, uh, excuse me, your checkbook and write those types of big sums. Um, I, it's easy to think that it's all going to collapse, but then you realize the amount of TV money that's flowing in and it's only going to get bigger. Um, I mean, how weird is it to think that 
Washington and Michigan are going to play for the national championship in a week, and they're going to play again in October in what will be a highly anticipated <laughs> Big Ten matchup. Um, so, yeah, it's hard, and it's really hard. Look, Oregon State and Washington State right now are kind of being kicked to the curb um, in this conference realignment stuff. They're not going to be the only ones. As things continue to shake out, there's a lot of schools that are not that are going to be left in the dust that are going to have to figure out how do we regroup. Um, but there have always been have and have nots in college sports. You could argue that the gap is getting wider and wider, um, but it's you know it's not changing. But again, the adults broke college sports, so. If you're mad, you know, I've, I've been angry a lot this mm-hmm. fall, uh, mm-hmm. go take it up with Larry Scott. <laughs> right, or the great George Klyovkov. We'll close yeah. on this. I, I, I found your, your X feed and found you responding to Ross Dellinger. Let's close on that because it was nigh comical in effect. What did, what did you make of what George had to say last night, and how did you respond on X? Well, so just to, like, give everyone yeah. a heads up, he said, um, you know, oh, tough for the kids, you know, they're caught up in this mess, and if schools just would have, if Pac-12 schools just would have been a little more patient, I think we would have had a good, we, we would have had a good plan or whatever, mm-hmm. and I was just like, again, no accountability from the adults in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, this fell apart on his watch, and he's never really owned it. I think the fact that um, Scott Barnes and, the, and Washington State have, uh, administrators have been so out about, uh, out and up front about like George Klyovkov is not involved in, in our conference going right. forward. Like right. we are, you know, that says everything and it just, it bothers me. And it's, you know, I'm sure he's going to get a very nice paycheck to leave just like Larry Scott did. And it's really frustrating. Um, cause the student athletes are the ones that suffer from it. I mean, NIL is great, but not everyone is making that money. And now mm-hmm. lots of students are going to have to get on, you know, planes and go, Fly to Rutgers, you right. know, who are from right. the Northwest. You know, that's the one, listen, the one positive not being invited to the Big Ten. Who <laughs> wants to fly to Rutgers? But it's tough. I do want to say, Mike, this is my closing note. Okay. For continuing to be optimistic, money in college football. Anytime an Oregon State fan is getting upset, feeling down, feeling worried, I just want them to say out loud, but the stadium is done. Right. The stadium being done is huge. And if we go into the next two years where Oregon State is kind of a group of five team in football, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's group, there are better group of five facilities than Oregon State. Don't discount the value of that. The stadium's yeah. done. It's beautiful. we got a gorgeous practice facility. Gill is in good shape. Mm-hmm. There are things to sell about Oregon State. Well said, Lindsay. You made me feel better heading into 2024. <laughs> good talking to you. Let's stay in touch. Uh, Nice to hear your voice again. Happy New Year to you, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Lindsay. All right. Happy New Year, guys. Lindsay Schnell, formerly the Oregonian, Oregon State graduate, working now, finding stories to write about, including Grubb, Coach Grubb getting over $2 million as the OC. Wasn't he like 28 years old? For Washington. He was 29 years old when he kind of got into it. Out of whatever, he had some other business. He was in out of football, but then, yeah, I think I'll try this thing out with Kalen DeBoer and... The rest is history back up in, you know, where they first began coaching together. Yes. Now, I mentioned watching the Pop-Tart mascot run around the field (laughs) as we go to break. Listen to this. I wish I would have seen it. Speaking of money, 
Food sponsors are getting a great return on investment, writes Nicole Auerbach in her article about how to fix bowl games. And uh-huh. the sillier, the better, she says. Change the portal, uh, enter in the portal date, she says. Maybe pay the players to pay in the bowl game, she says. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's all these things. But she says food sponsors are getting a great return on investment. The Pop-Tarts Bowl <laughs> generated $12 million, 98000 $187 in earned media, according to Apex Marketing, just by having their name and all the images and the memes and the people watching. And they made $12 million. $12 million, according to whatever kind of research that is, how uh-huh. they know that or how they quantify that, I don't know. But there, there's probably something to it that the Pop-Tarts company... Like they sold an extra twelve million dollars. Well, I don't know how the, the I don't know how they came to that number, Johnny. I don't. Yeah, but according to Apex Media, that the return on earned media, according to Apex Marketing for the Pop Tarts Company for the Pop Tarts Bowl sponsorship, was twelve million ninety eight thousand one hundred eighty seven dollars. That's great. I, the the only thing I remember <laughs> from last week that I laughed out loud about was the Pop Tart Bowl trophy with the Pop Tarts and the football. It's a clever, and it's. I thought that was funny, and then the game happens, and then the yeah. the mascot does its antics, which I didn't see. Any but who of it. played in? Do we uh, even know even or know. care? It doesn't matter who played, who in, played it. in it. Doesn't matter who played in it. Doesn't matter what the score is. We got what we wanted: twelve million dollars <laughs> worth of pop tart love, and we've all eaten and loved pop tarts in our lives. <laughs> so. You know, they're the, I mean, a Pop-Tart, very simple little meal, toaster, not toaster. Yeah. No, nah, I don't need a toaster. Just give me that brown sugar cinnamon and I'm happy. <laughs> Let's take a break. We've got open phones the rest of the way. Open phones and texts. Any thoughts on any of the above? 497-5356. And any, any bewilderment in your face, in your heart, and your soul with a faint doubt about the, your quality, the quality of your present happiness. Oh, we had two great college football games last night. Yes, we did. Good for you. Good for all of you that watch them. Feel free to share your thoughts. Look, I'm just a football fan. I don't care about all this other stuff. When I sit down on my couch or my recliner, if I see a great college football game, and I saw two of them yesterday, I'm happy. Al Jolson, let me sing, and I'm happy. Yeah. Well, let me watch good college football, and I'm happy. So are you happier than ever because the CFP got it right? Four nine seven fifty three fifty six. The Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. Oh, yeah, I know it. All right, let's get to some of our texts. Uh, by the way, uh, another thing that stuck out to me from this show as I go home and finish my day, I'll always remember Dave calling the bowl games sp- uh, spring practice because the analogy is perfect. And when Lindsay said. And she's not. She's right. I mean, these are things that I've been saying. But Lindsay said, uh, Oregon State and Washington State aren't going to be the only ones in this situation. There would be more collapse. One other. Let's get to the text in a moment. Would love to hear from any of you who were in Gill. And I submit that the atmosphere in Gill for the men's game Saturday night with Bronny James and USC in town was the best atmosphere in over four years for a men's game in the building. Because you recall the 2021 Elite Eight run, no fans allowed in the stands. Very few fans allowed even in Indianapolis during the tournament. So for the Beaver men's basketball team to beat a team loaded with NBA-level talent, NBA scouts throughout the building, 
Bronny James was the best player on the floor for USC in the second half. Good for him, and I'm happy for him to be playing. And I think Bronny himself generated hundreds and hundreds of fans coming to the game because of that. We'd love to hear any thoughts you might have about how the men played, the quality of that win, what might be ahead for them. They beat USC 86-70. to So if you have some thoughts about the atmosphere in Gill as loud and excited and revved up as I felt it in four years. It was fun to be there. If you were part of it, love to hear from you. 4,300. I was wondering. I was, I was out of town. Good crowd, but loud and engaged mm. in the beeves. Overwhelmed USC. It was impressive. Let's get to a couple of texts before we get to Everett. What do you got, Johnny? Uh, Z in Salt Lake City says the NIL landscape is evolving into something it is never intended to be. Players absolutely should be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. However, there's now an implied expectation for everyday fans, the working class, to fund NIL. Collectives to play uh, to pay players right. that come and go at the drop of a hat under no obligation to stick around for any period of time. It's unreasonable to expect Beaver Nation to come up with $10 million Every year, I know to pay players that very well may leave at season's end anyway. I could That's not agree more. That's a tremendous point, and and even we say that, and hope that Kyle Kyle Bjornstad and the Damnation Collective are trying to help the Beavers survive in the world. Mm-hmm. So the the pitch, the ask, the request, whatever you can pay, whatever it, it's asking Beaver Nation. To do a lot, as Z points out, to try to help keep the payroll. I hate to put it that way. Right. But keep it at a competitive level, if that makes any sense. Because name, image, likeness, yeah, if Damien has his face on a T-shirt, he ought to get a chunk of that action. But it's become much more yeah, than that. Yeah, because we're thinking, oh, yeah, you, 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 your uh, name and your image is used on a video game. Okay, fine. Right. You get paid for that. But now it's like a quarterback. It's a million dollars right. a year. For, because he's the quarterback. Right. I know how that, many, that's what it's become. How many yeah. cereal boxes right. are they on? Anyway, he, he also writes, if Pop-Tarts would have paid each player on both teams $30,000 to play in the Pop-Tarts Bowl, yeah. it would have cost $6 million, assuming 100 players on each roster, 85 scholarship players, and 15 walk-ons. Pop-Tarts would have still earned over $6 million. That's right, if that $12 million right. figure is accurate. I'm sure yeah. there would not have been as many opt-outs. I'm sure the right. game would have been better. Another point I completely and, agree and with. And Nicole Arbach makes that point. If these sponsors are really into it and we can pay players now in the nil world, then let Tony the Tiger and Frosted Flakes pay every Notre Dame and Oregon State exactly. player to play in the game. Exactly. <laughs> Anything else before oh, we get to Everett? I don't even know what to choose Let's hey, let, Because people take time to share their thoughts, let's get a few. Oh, Everett, hang okay. in there. All We're right. Gonna, here's, yeah. here's a couple here. Um... Uh, let's see. You are what your record says you are. Okay, that's a quote, by the way. Kudos to the women's basketball team for defeating everyone they face, but who have they faced? Yeah, true. <laughs> U of O's not good this year. Other opponents are mediocre at best. Okay. Can't argue with that. How pathetic that we're being told to be happy that our Texas high school-sized stadium will be one of the best group of five facilities. Well, I understand the thought, but it's not right. It's it's uh, yeah. It used to be. Uh, before any of the of the rebuilds, but it's nice. It's it really a beautiful is. stadium. And you know, and I think we're kind of grabbing on to anything you know, positive we can. And it is a beautiful stadium. And so, you know, contraction has become more of a, of a thing and what many major league stadia are doing and 
Yeah, college football stadiums we've seen decreased, contracted in size. So for the Beavers to be where they are, th- no apologies necessary for the quality of the ballpark that Reeser Stadium is. Okay, Portal can't move into January. Need to be enrolled by the start of winter term. Can we call this the second transplant and final Rose Bowl? I don't know what that means. Next year, winter term starts on the 6th and on the 5th in 2026. Moving the portal to January will put the schools that operate on the semester system at a significant advantage true. over those OSU yes. in the quarter system. That's true. And then not defending George, but if Washington hadn't decided, been induced, to leave, might be law. Uh, uh, to the to leave, mm-hmm. the might be lauded in, in a few years for having the foresight to be the first mover into Apple Prime I, Digital Broadcasting. I agree with that too. I think George and the, the whole Apple deal was better. That's what I've yeah, been saying. I know is that it because, and I'll tell you why. One week before he he told of that, or two weeks before he revealed that that's what the plan was. Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, talking about all things Disney. One thing that came up was ESPN and the family. He said, in five years, all of our ESPN properties are going to be digital. I know. And I'm just like, okay, well, well then, then do the, the Apple deal. Could have been the, I know. And be on the forefront. Not to mention, on that deal, there was incentives for how many subscribers you had. And someone had said that the math worked out that that it already was such that they would get much more than the, than the 25. Yeah. Because they got up to 25. Yes. And that within a year or two, it would be upwards of 40 and 45. There was hopes of million. that, yes. But Washington did indeed, <laughs> Kalen DeBoer, whomever, were out. We're out. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to Everett. If you can round up a few more on the University Honda text line, let's get back to the downward dog phone line. Because we appreciate our sponsors. It is money that makes it all possible to stay on the air and do what we do. So we thank University Honda. We thank Downward Dog. We thank Pop-Tarts and Tony the Tiger. Let's go to Everett next on the Joe Beaver Show. Good afternoon, Everett. Hi, Mike. Hi, John. It's been a while. Yep. So I, I promise I, I won't talk about football. I'm kind of done with football and and uh, going forward on fourth down when you should punt. But I wanted to go back to something that Lindsay said uh, previously when she was talking about Reagan beers mm-hmm. and how officials call games. And then I'm going to apply that to the men's games this weekend. Um, I texted uh, Wayne Wednesday, wished him good luck. Uh, I grew up in Corvallis, saw uh, Roe, Wicks, Patterson, mm-hmm. Walton, O'Banions, Kevin Love, Reggie Miller, all those guys, and I, and I just told him it'd be great to knock off the Bruins their last time in Corvallis, potentially. And I just really noticed coming out of the second half that UCLA came out very aggressively, especially uh, defensively, and that the officials kind of let them push the Beavers around. I thought they were uh, their physicality was very, very obvious, blasting through screens, and very few calls. In fact, I think... Uh, but Oregon State's first free throws were like with nine minutes to go in the game or something like that. And uh, I was pretty frustrated, and, I, and Tink was pretty frustrated. He got a technical foul. And, and then I watched the USC game two days later, which was a great effort, by the way, and the referees called it completely differently. I thought UC, USC was not allowed to just bully through screens. Uh, when they were trapping in their one two one one press, uh, they were calling them for reaching, grabbing, pushing. Uh, there was a couple of uh, uh, 
fouls called on uh, box outs where USC was just pushing. And then Andy Ernfeld got all upset and mm-hmm. got a technical foul. And, and I just thought that, uh, you know, it was called the way it should be called. And, you know, you, you coach players like I did for years. You've got to adjust to how the officials are calling the game. But I thought there was a real difference. And I'm not blaming uh, the, the loss against UCLA just on the officials. Don't get me wrong. But there was definitely uh, a different perception on how the game was being played. And uh, I know that Oregon State shot a lot more free throws than USC did on Saturday to their advantage, obviously. But I thought the referees did a better job of keeping the game uh, under control physically. So I thought that was a good job. I know the the men's team has a a tough go this next weekend up in Washington. But uh, I agree with you. The atmosphere was great Saturday, and uh, it was a great win. Could have got two, but, hey, we'll, we'll take one over USC. And my last comment was, yeah, I was impressed. Uh, Bronny James, and uh, I was impressed with him. Uh, yeah, He's going to be a good player down the road. Quick uh, comment, Everett, and then John's got something he wants to respond. He called that UCLA game. I was watching it with Jim Wilson and Ron Paso and frustrated at how that played out after the great start the Beavers got off to. And I kind of want to hear John out on that, and your comments are well taken. But... You know, Isaiah Collier was the number one recruit in the country, and you could see the point guard for USC. There were a couple of times on pick-and-roll action where he he got the ball into guys rolling. It was impressive. That said, the NBA people, I think, and I know I did, came away impressed. I thought Bronny might be one of those guys that, well, we'll give him a scholarship and a place because he's LeBron's son and Uh we want that attention Uh and however much money that generates for our school. But he he was good in and, what way? and got better down the stretch. Everett, what, down the stretch, he was their best player on the floor. Oh no, no question. And and I have to admit, um, for me, the jury was still kind of out on Bronny. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to a lot of people. I, I saw um, some, him on TV in in high school a couple times, and I was like, ah, boy, a lot of pressure on the right. kid. Yeah, he's <laughs> good, but you know how good is he? And I came away Saturday going, wow. Yeah. Uh, not only his three-point shooting, but he took the ball to the rim right. really hard a couple times, uh, real aggressively. Um, and I, I just came away going, wow, that he really is LeBron James' yes. son. And he, he very well, over the next couple of years, could be an NBA prospect. Yeah, and Everett, I just want to back up what you said, because you know the, the media seating that we have, if we're not calling games, is up high, as you know, in Gil Coliseum. And so I'm calling this game. And it's been a while since I've been down, you know, courtside. courtside. I couldn't believe, especially in that first half, Everett. I, I could not believe how physical and how much pushing and shoving and and hitting, almost punching, that UCLA was getting away with. But but Wayne and the group they weren't complaining. So I thought, well, I, I guess this is normal. So I I didn't really <laughs> kind of bring that up on the broadcast, other than to say, wow, very very physical in there. And I guess I just got used to it because by the second half, I wasn't really paying much attention to it or it wasn't uh, on my, my radar. And as you were saying, that maybe they did a better job of letting it go. But um, no, that, that, like you mentioned, the physicality of UCLA was a lot more than the previous three games I had called, including Baylor, who got as high as like fifth in the nation at one point. Right. Uh, well, I think also that's part of Mick Cronin's yes. deal. Um, yep. You know, when he was at Cincinnati, and then I think that's where he was, and then now at UCLA, 
his teams have always been very, very physical, particularly in their man-to-man. And it's one of those things where sometimes you put officials in a position where, well, they can't call every single (laughs) foul. We're just going to... We're just going to play this way, and sometimes I, you know, in my 33-year career of coaching, uh, sometimes you see officials just kind of go, well, that's the kind of the way they're playing, and that's kind of the flow mm-hmm. of the game, so yep. we're not going to make a lot of those calls. But then, you know, like I, I said, you get, a, you get a different crew two days later, it's like, nah, that's a foul. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's really so amazing. You just yep, absolutely. Thanks, Great to talk to you, Everett. Happy New Year to you. Four nine seven fifty three fifty six on the Downward Dog phone line, the University Honda text line. We're going to get to Garrett here in just a second. A quick thought too about Saturday, John. Did you know? I don't know how much you watched or listened. You were on a mountain retreat, yeah, I, I believe. I couldn't get it. But the likes of all together at one time in the building. Oh, I heard your post game. Yeah, Ray Bloom. Mark Radford, Steve Johnson. You talk about a triumvirate of power. Those three together and Steve's son, Michael, and Steve's grandson, Orlando, Michael's son, Andy McClowski, Troy Berry, David Lucas, all there behind the Beaver bench. Roberto Nelson brought the guys together. I think, you know, during the course of the week, maybe we could, I could help you get Roberto on the fan. Yeah. Get Roberto Nelson on. Who, uh, I heard Wayne say that's kind of what they hired him to director do. Director of player development, current yeah. guys, yes, but also re-engage and get the old yeah. guard in. And they had a great time. They were cheering on the Beavers. But to see Johnson, Radford, and Bloom together, 80-81 was uh, in the minds of many, I'm yeah. sure. Let's go to Garrett on the Joe Beaver Show. Garrett, good afternoon. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing today? Good. Fine, thank so, you. Uh, I hated to miss the tail end of the conversation with Lindsay because uh, it really brought me back to uh, her time here in college when she was at Oregon State, um, a local hairstylist of the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, really fun and amazing thing about getting to live in. Oh, you're breaking up on us. Hey, Garrett, call us right. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you get to encounter a bunch of a really amazing athletes from time to time, um, you know, kind of the once in a generation or, you know, the, the ones that are like really elite. But you also. Yeah. You're, hey, hey Garrett, you. Garrett, listen, listen, if you can hear us, here's what we need you to do. We're going to take our final break. Call us right back, please, Garrett. We want to hear your story. 497-5356. We lost Garrett. We want to hear the rest of the story. Yeah. Please. 497-5356. Garrett, get in a better spot on your cell site, and we'll wrap it up right after this. Quick time out on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. I think I we literally just now figuring that out. We, we all have moments of, hello. <laughs> and I read it this day. morning. I read this article this morning. And Season I ticket prices I won't go up. An extra game. I'm yeah. thinking, how, what do you mean you're getting an extra game? You still have to pay for it. Oh, no, 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 no. on the season package. So, in other words, the six-game home season ticket packages past year will be yes. the same price for seven home games so next year. Was... But that's the adjustment to not as many Power 5 right. games and all right. that. But it's right. the right thing. Oh, it's, it's a the great, right thing. It's now, good news. We're going to go to back to Garrett, try it again. Those of you who've texted us on the University Honda text line, you should have pushed back on the blue blood. Yes, and both of us immediately yeah. were looking at each other and whispering, 
She's wrong about right, that. Right. That uh, Oregon I, State baseball is a blue blood exactly. program. We're not going to interrupt her and say, Lindsay, you're wrong. They are a blue no, blood. No, no. And the way I look at it is if it were a, 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 a collar popping <laughs> off, then yes, we would have corrected them. But she was a guest. Yeah. And so, she was trying to make a larger point about right, if you're not in right. the minds of people, this, that, or the <laughs> other. We did both look at but, each other. No, yeah, no. She, yeah, they are. They are. Three national championships, the only team in the country with three in I, this millennium. I, I think that Oregon State baseball is very well known in Baton Rouge. Yes, and can thus survive as the only, yeah. I think, the only independent in the country if it goes that way. And there's talk, certainly, that it's leaning that way right. in baseball, non-affiliated. Right, uh, while the rest of the school is, and that tells you something. I mean, that's that's incredible, but it's a credit to what who they are and yeah. what they are yeah. as a blue blood of the sport. Right. Now, let's try Garrett again. Garrett, I hope you're in a better spot. Uh, welcome well, back we to should, the show. We should be we should be good now. I okay. think I cleared that spot on Highway 34. Thank you. Anyways, I was just calling to let you guys know that um, I got to spend some time uh, around Lindsay when she was in college at Oregon mm-hmm. State. And uh, what an amazing human being. Yeah. And uh, to get to hear her story uh, throughout her time at Oregon State and then to get to see her take on like dream internship and hear all about it through the way and have her you know getting her first job and you know being a beat writer here and there mm-hmm. and other places and you know to turn on the radio when I get off work today and to you know hear that things are going so good and still getting to report on her basketball and her beavers and it just made me really happy today and so I needed to call and share that with you guys and um not to change directions off basketball, but uh, one of my fondest memories was uh, during the summer that she had her internship. Um, I believe she was in New York City, and uh, I don't remember if it was for Sports Illustrated or not, but um, I believe that's what her internship was. But uh, it was the summer that Alex Rodriguez had hit his 600th home run, and uh that day I was having like the most stressful of days. And, uh, she texted me at the very moment that he hit the home run. And I just, yeah. you know, whenever I hear her on the radio or see her on TV, I, just, I, I think of that. And like, you know, she shared that experience with me and like, nice. it was one that I'm a huge Yankee fan mm-hmm. and just good for her. And I'm so happy that she's doing everything that she nice. said that she was going to do. She came to Oregon state and, she had a goal, and she conquered all. So, way to go, Lindsay. Good job, Garrett. That's Thank you. Yeah, today. thanks a lot, buddy. Good to hear from you. That's a great call. Yeah. Because we are we're very proud of her. She's had a tremendous career. Sports Illustrated, now USA Today. Wrote for the Oregonian. Wrote for the Barometer. Learned her way here. As a loves the Beavers. Has written some tremendous stories through the years. And to keep in mind, you and I are old enough and been, have been here doing this long enough that she was in school. <laughs> When we were starting, it this is thing true. Out. It is true what you say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was weird calling that game last Thursday with Cela Heidi on the floor. I bet it was because uh, Cecil Pierce was uh, senior my first year here. Did you see Cecil and Jason? I didn't. Okay, I don't. I didn't since his playing days ended after the two thousand one season. Yeah, in fact, um, I don't remember. See, I was kind of focused in. I Adley Black lock was going to come to the men's game and i asked her to come by at halftime if she was and i don't think she ended up going to the game well adley was my halftime guest on 
I just I reached out with all the stars for in the Saturday? stands for Saturday's USC game. I text Andrew Goodwin is doing a great job. She must not have been at the game. She may not have been. She, but you had her on in the post game, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. Okay. But then I I heard that, and then I had her on at halftime of the men's game against USC because the reason is, well, why'd you have Adley on when you could have had Steve Johnson or Ray Bloom or Mark Radford? You can't pick among those guys. So you go neutral. You know, yeah. How, yeah. I, I'm going to favor Yeah, You like Radford better than Bloom, <laughs> don't you? you really and they're like, all right behind and you. And you really like David Lucas better than all of them. Well, so I, I went a different direction and had that. But one, you had someone on your post game, right? Andy McClowski. Yeah. I brought him in as a coach and a former Beaver both to say, hey, what did you see? And he yeah. loved the Beaver zone. USC was dysfunctional against the zone. The Beavers played a lot of good defense. That was a sweet win to have all those folks there, the crowd into it. Let's go, let's go north now. I'm leaving for Pullman tomorrow. You've got the rest of the week. I'm going to Pullman. I talked to Mark Barnard, former volleyball coach. He leaves tomorrow for Rome. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> see you soon.